Thanks. Okay, good evening. This meeting is now being recorded. This is the meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment, and the time is 5.01 p.m. A note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Due to the COVID-19 health emergency and to protect commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, the Commission on the Environment's meeting room 416 is closed. However, commissioners and department staff will be participating in the meeting remotely. This precaution is taken pursuant to the statewide stay-at-home order and all preceding and proceeding local, state, and federal orders, declarations, and directives. Commissioners will attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if the video fails and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. SFGovTV.org are streaming the number up at the top of the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone call by calling 1-415-655-0001 and entering access code 146-595-1557. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways, either to the department's commission affairs officer or at environment at, <laughs> environment at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. Now we'll now call the roll. President Stevenson? Here. Vice President Ahn? Here. Commissioner Bermejo? Here. Commissioner Chu? Here. Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Wald? Here. And Commissioner Wan? Here. President Stevenson, we have a quorum. Excellent. Next item, please. All right, we'll move on to our next item, item two, President's Welcome, and this item is for discussion. Check and make sure I'm still on, okay. Hello everybody, good evening, and thanks to everyone who made it out to this meeting of the Commission on the Environment in a new year. Um, let me start by sharing some of the best practices for the meeting as we have in our last meetings. If you haven't already done so, please all members of the commission mute yourselves to minimize background noise. Um, you'll have to remember to unmute yourself in order to comment. There are staff members in the background who'll be managing the technological functions during this meeting so that we can switch from the presentations to whomever is speaking at the moment. Again, we ask everyone to be patient as we make those adjustments. All right, so friends, a lot has changed since we last met. President Biden signed an executive order to put us back in the Paris Climate Agreement. And through the magic of technology and some pretty incredible programming, I think by their transition team, so many of us got to participate in our inaugural festivities, so many more than ever before. Um, friends and family members have been vaccinated in the last few weeks, and what felt like the longest January in the history of my entire life came to a close, and I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. Um, I'm really looking forward to the new year, um, to the new administration, and to a renewed hope for a better future for our people and our planet. Um, on January 20th, our inaugural poet, Amanda Gorman, really inspired us all with her beautiful words, and in the midst of all of that beauty, a few lines really stood out for me. So I ask you to please bear with me because um, I'm not gonna do justice to the beauty of her words in the way that she did during that time. But 
there was a specific passage that really struck me that I wanted to share tonight. She said, we will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation become the future. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain, if we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left. Those words when she spoke them struck me so forcefully that I spent an, a very long time searching around the internet for the full transcript of her poem. And I had to wait until the next day before I could find the whole thing. But when I started rereading it, it affected me just as strongly. And it strikes me really forcefully that it perfectly articulates our obligation as a commission, a department, and a city. Our inertia is the inheritance of the next generations, and our blunders are their burdens. So I, for one, don't want this time of COVID to be something of an excuse for inertia to keep us from doing what needs to be done for the climate. I want this to be the time where we change our children's birthrights and leave behind a country and a whole world better than the one that we were left. The exciting thing about this for me, and I think for all of us sitting here, is that we know so much of what needs to be done. We have a brilliant staff and we have a great commission, and we live in a city that often has the political will and the citizen support to get it done and to do it. So let's get to work. Tonight I'm excited to kick off this year um, to say that we're bringing back the Environmental Service Awards after a year off, and I'm looking forward to our presentation and discussion around the resolution for the Ramatish Ohlone Land Acknowledgement. This seems like a meaningful way to spend our first meeting of the year and remind ourselves of where we are and our connection to place. We've got a great agenda and a lot to do this year, so let's get to it. Is there public comment on the President's welcome? Okay, we can open it for a public comment on this item and I will put the instructions for making a comment up on the screen for anyone who's joining us via WebEx. And just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment and comments should be related to this agenda item, which is the president's welcome. Give me one second while I check our queue. I am seeing that we have one caller in the queue. So I will pull out my timer. And I will unmute our first caller now. Commissioners, my name is Francisco da Costa. I am the director of environmental justice advocacy and have been involved with environmental issues for over 40 years. I'm also the tribal liaison for the Muakma Ohlone tribe. The Muakma Ohlone tribe that exercised its right of first refusal in 1991. I'm glad that this commission and the chairperson has some good intentions to address environmental issues. And as we all know, we have some very astute and well-educated people in the Bay Area who embrace environmental issues. Now it's left to the commission to have a blueprint that's viable and sustainable. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. 
All right, and we have another one more caller in the queue. And so I will unmute our next caller now. Um, yeah, I, uh, very glad this commission is meeting. Um, and this welcome, though, you know, I, I'm glad that Biden won, like probably most everyone else in San Francisco. But I, I don't see the point in having a welcome gushing about Biden in the inauguration. What does that have to do with, um, you know, what's happening in San Francisco? I, I mean, I understand that Biden's policies will affect San Francisco, but how does this directly relate to environmental policies in San Francisco? Like, you know, I, I feel like if, uh, I, I mean, I, I know that, you know, the welcome is not supposed to be getting into the nitty gritty of things and stuff, but I don't know. It, it just feels like a partisan commentary that, that seems unnecessary and potentially alienating to the very small percentage of, of you know, people who um, are, are not, uh, necessarily fans of Biden or uh, wanted um, certain other uh, parties to win, uh, but but do care about um, environmentalism and um, improving um, the environment here in San Francisco um, and climate change and all that good stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. This this welcome it just seemed kind of um, irrelevant to the purpose of this commission. I, I mean, if, if there was a way that this had tied back into what is happening in San Francisco m more clearly other than that, yay, Biden won, and yay, he's going to save us, that would have been nice. But, um, yeah, it just, it just felt very partisan and um, and not relevant. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and we have another caller in the queue, and so I will unmute our next caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Um, hi, it's David Pilpel. Um, I'm concerned about this proposed acknowledgement I had a brief discussion with the uh, director about this. I understand the what's been explained to me about why I think it's on the one hand totally appropriate and useful and on the other hand um a slippery slope. I I get that we are presently in San Francisco which was originally the home of others, and there are reasons for that involving history, good, bad, and otherwise. But the slippery slope that I see is that there are a lot of grievances that people have, many of which or all of which are legitimate, whether it's taking of land or uh, internment of certain people during a war or genocides, or holocausts, or famines, or slavery. There's all kinds of history that can be acknowledged and uh, repaired or uh, attempted to restore. And when you start to acknowledge some, it suggests that 
you should acknowledge all, and since it's not really possible to acknowledge all, then you're necessarily excluding some. And so that's uh, my concern. I would much rather we find ways to repair and restore the land to how it was and going forward reduce and remove uh, toxics and pollution on the land and honor the past struggles involving the land by using it uh, in, a, in a better way as good stewards of the land. And I'm not sure that uh, a simple or even a complicated introduction at a meeting um, goes to that. But those are my thoughts on this, I'm sure, uh, controversial topic. Thanks. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. All right, then, thank you all for your comments. Let's go to the next item, please. All right, we'll move on to our next item, which is item three, approval of minutes of the December 8, 2020 Commission on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the December 8, 2020 draft minutes, and this item is for discussion and possible action. All right, commissioners, is there any discussion on the draft minutes? All right. And just to remind, oh, Johanna, it looks like Commissioner Wald, your hand is raised in the participants on the side. Uh, I wanted to move uh, that we approve. Excellent, I hear a motion from Commissioner Wald. Do we have a second? Second. Commissioner on seconded. Is there any public comment on this? I'm sorry, are there any discussions or changes that anyone wants to add to the? All right, so no changes to the minutes from the last meeting. Let's open up public comment. All right, I'll put the instructions for made, making a public comment back up on the screen. And just a reminder that comments should relate, be related to this agenda item, which is the approval of minutes and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I see that we have one caller in the queue, and so I will start the timer and unmute our first caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, David Pilpel again. I'm sorry, my previous comments uh, were in relation to item six. I thought that's where you were. I uh, didn't know that you were still on item two. So as to the minutes from December 8th, um, I think where public comment is listed, the public comment should be uh, prior to the vote because, in fact, you take public comment uh, prior to the vote, so it's confusing to see the vote and then uh, public comment. Um, the minutes seem a bit inconsistent with um, staff, uh, in some cases, referred to by title, like uh, Director Raphael, but then... Uh, so on page two, Director Raphael introduced Jack Macy and James Slattery, Jack presented on the challenges, and then Jack answered questions, So, and then President Stevenson. So it goes back and forth with um, first name and last name. I, I don't particularly care which convention you use, but I think it uh, perhaps should be consistent. If you don't want to change it this time, that's fine, but perhaps in the future um, to use a consistent convention. Um, and then at the end of the minutes, um, let me see, page... Uh, eight, it says the next meeting of the commission is scheduled for Tuesday, January 26th. 
that was with the old schedule with the um, change in the bylaws that was item seven of that meeting that made the next uh, meeting of the commission tonight, February 1st. So perhaps the minutes should be changed to reflect that. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comment. And I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. All right, seeing no more other callers, let's call the roll call vote, please. All right, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President Ahn. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye, sorry. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. And please, Katie. All right, we'll move on to our next item, which is item four, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. And so I will put the instructions for making a comment back up on the screen. And if you are calling in, please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. Give me one second while I check our queue. All right, and I am seeing that we have a caller in the queue and so I will unmute our first commenter now. Hi, my name is Daniel Tahara. I'm a resident of District 8. Um, I wanna thank you for having me today. Um, I have three items I'd like to comment on that are not in this agenda. Um, one is looking at the climate action plan uh, and rereading our chapter nine goals. Um, I, I'm kind of dismayed to see that they are targeting reductions by 2050, which is long after all of us will be uh, <laughs> done with, with uh, this commission and department and maybe even our jobs. Um, and in particular, chapter nine asks, dictates that we reduce emissions 40% by 2030, which uh, as we all well know, it's not nearly enough uh, for us to be doing as a wealthy city. The world needs to be reducing its emissions by 50% by 2030, allowing for growth of developing nations. Um, and so as we look forward to, to chapter nine updates, um, I really want to urge uh, the commission to ask for more aggressive targets that are really in line with the moment in the science. Uh, second item is um, the Department of Environment commissioned a really great study on consumption-based emissions inventory. Um, had brought this up during the, the policy subcommittee in December. Uh, would love to see some discussion and hearing on that uh, in this body. Um, and then lastly, uh, as we look ahead excitedly to um, a Biden administration, I think it would be good for the department to identify ways in which we could use potential stimulus money. So shovel-ready pro projects that would um, improve the environment and uh, particularly for uh, what's important to me, climate. Um, so whether that is uh, doing uh, grid upgrades, doing electrification, weatherization work, um, we should have a plan to use money if it comes. Um, and I think that would be a really uh, great thing for the department to be doing. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I will unmute our next caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. 
David Pilpel. So um, I'm not speaking now specifically on item seven, but just in general about uh, posting of uh, materials and attachments. Um, I happen to be uh, talking to Joe Salem this afternoon and discovered that the attachment for item seven was the wrong attachment. It was the same uh, document that was presented at the operations committee on January 11th. Um, so the correct document following my concern uh, was posted uh, about an hour ago. So that gives the public less than an hour to review that document and um, perhaps compare it to others and form comments where there's an attachment, um, particularly if it's ready prior to a meeting. I think it's incredibly important in general and especially now during COVID times to uh, post that document, check that it's correct, be sure that it's posted, um, and have somebody review that if necessary. Not having the right information available for the public is, you know, not great. I mean, I, I could use other words, but let's just go with uh, not great. So I hope in the future that those things will be caught and flagged and that attachments will be properly labeled and checked. Um, really important to me. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comments. All right, I will unmute our next caller now. Hello, all. this is uh, Chris, resident of San Francisco. Um, I just wanted to talk about, you know, some of the things I think this commission and the Department of Environment should prioritize for the upcoming year. So first of all, chapter nine update is absolutely critical. Um, I looked through some of the budget documents and it looks like the department has some good ideas for how to refocus chapter nine on the various sectors that are producing most of the GHGs in our community. However, I am afraid this will not be effective unless the actual dates are moved upwards. So right now, chapter nine says that we need to reduce our GHGs by 80% by 2050. I understand Mayor Breed has a earlier date. I think it's 80% uh, a little bit earlier. However, I think we need to be net zero or very close to net zero by 2030 or earlier. This is clearly in line with the IPCC 2018 report and some of the very frightening climate science that came over came out over the holidays. Um, it looks like you know we've already locked in two degrees Celsius no matter what we do. The question is, do we want this warming to happen in the next decade or the next century? And that's up to us. You know, wealthy cities, wealthy countries have to step up and reduce emissions by 2030. I think this will also flow into the, the climate action plan update. The dates, the goals in the climate action plan are totally inadequate. Um, in addition, I'd like to see a hearing at this body um, as well as the land use um, committee of the board of supervisors on the new consumption report that was recently released. Finally, I would like to see the construction and demolition ordinance resubmitted to the land use committee as soon as possible. I understand that the committee and the Department of Environment are working on various um, amendments, but I, I really think it's of times of the essence. We have to get this back into the committee. And most importantly, we need to add a carbon fee applied to landfilled construction and demolition debris to help fund equitable climate mitigation for communities in our city that are most impacted by 
air pollution, and climate change. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm seeing that we have one more commenter in the queue, so I will go ahead and unmute them now. Um, yeah, I'd just like to make a general comment about uh, San Francisco's um, attitude towards um, environmental policy. I think a lot of it tends to be shouldered by lower income individuals, um, whether uh, that means that um, they have to um, work in, you know, for example, whether they have to, you know, rely on public transit that is unreliable um, or, uh, you know, if they have to work in, um, say, for ecology or, you know, we see a lot of, um, you know, the, the lovely people who go around collecting bottles and stuff for us. Um, you know, a, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the policies that um, have been created to um, try to reduce our carbon imprint, footprint and all that stuff, a, a lot of that stuff um, ends up being um, shouldered by uh, lower income individuals, whereas for the higher income individuals in our city, they continue going on their way, um, catching Ubers and you know, sitting in their doing, having their nice work from home jobs, and you know, quite honestly, um, they don't recycle. I was talking to somebody the other day um, who was living on the street. He made a selling. Uh, actually, talk to anybody who on the street, and, and the, there are people who hawk stuff that they find out of the, um, out of the trash. So yeah, um, there are there are people here who really don't recycle at all. Um, so I, I think that um, there really needs to be something done about uh, economic justice and how that can be integrated into uh, environmental justice. Um, uh, so yeah, that's basically the, the brunt of my um, comment, I guess. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. All right, then let's move to the next item, please. All right. Stop sharing and we'll move on to item five, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Julian Potter. And this item is for discussion. All right, Commissioner Chu, can you kick us off, please? Yes, I will. Um, hi, everyone. I am excited to present the first Environmental Service Award of 2021 to Julian Potter, who has retired as Chief Administration Policy Officer of the San Francisco Inter International Airport after more than 15 years of service at the city and county of San Francisco. Her work has truly had a positive impact at the local, regional, and global level. She was a driving force behind SFO setting the world's first zero airport targets within its 2016 strategic plan to achieve zero net energy, zero waste, and zero net carbon emissions. She also led SFO to achieve a 41% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and reduce operational energy use by 5% from a 2013 baseline. 
In addition, she launched a successful green business certification program, installed over three megawatts of solar power, and banned all on-site plastic bottles and foodware. Julian formed a coalition of over 150 airlines, conventional and alternative fuel providers and nonprofits to grow SFO into one of the highest volumes served by sustainable aviation fuel. And in addition to everything I just mentioned, she also led SFO to become a net zero energy certified building and achieve the industry's first lead gold terminal. Wow. With that, I am pleased to join my colleagues in expressing gratitude to Julian for her partnership and commitment to tackling key climate issues and in presenting her with this award. I'd like to invite Ivar Sotero, airport director, to share a few thoughts. Thank you, uh, and uh, thanks to the Commission on the Environment for uh, acknowledging the incredible work of Julian, um, and we're going to miss her. She's been uh, such a, a wonderful advocate for all of our environmental initiatives and has been instrumental in so many of those that were just, uh, just mentioned, and SFO has a history of firsts in the environment and uh, first lead gold terminal in the world, first... Uh, net zero energy uh, building uh, at an airport certified um, and first airport to, to ban plastic bottles. And in fact, we're expanding our plastic bottle ban to all sweetened beverages starting in April. Um, but, you know, Julian is a, a renowned coalition builder and uh, she has been instrumental in developing industry leadership for the environment. And she supported our previous director, John Martin, in the formation of the Gateway Airports Council and the uh, California Airports Council. And part of that initiative was about advancing SFO's leadership in the environment. And I'll tell you, that's really where the legacy that Julian leaves uh, for this city and this airport resides is in that alignment of an industry that's in such desperate need of leadership. And Julian has provided that. And I think about our future and we haven't realized it yet. I think all of the incredible work that Julian has done, but as we advocate and achieve goals in sustainable aviation fuel, in fact, most recently, two months ago, we had our, all, uh, our uh, fixed base operator that provides fueling for all private aircraft commit to 100% sustainable aviation fuel in all the aircraft. And that is really moving the needle and moving an industry in the right direction. So. Uh, I am so appreciative of Julian and all her fine work. Uh, she's someone with a zest for life. And if you get a chance to, to hear her story, she's had a wonderful career and so many great experiences. Um, and I, I feel that this is uh, a wonderful way to go out with such an incredible legacy at, uh, at SFO and for the city. So thanks, Julian, and thanks to the Commission on the Environment. And thanks, Debbie, for this opportunity to recognize um, Julian. Thank you. Thank you so much, Director Sotero, and thank you, Julian. Debbie, did you want to say a few words? I would love to. Um, thank you, Ivar. That was beautiful. And thank you, Commissioner Chu, for those very accurate and well-deserved words uh, summarizing Julian. So when I think about Julian, I think of three words that summarize her to me, and that is curious, enthusiastic, and open curious, enthusiastic, and open. And that's that spirit. My guess is she was born with that spirit. Um, 
When she was 24, she decided to drive across the country by herself all the way to Alaska and camp along the way. I can tell you that when I was 24, I wasn't even thinking about having the courage to do something like that. So that kind of curiosity she has and that openness to whatever's in front of her and that belief in her own capacity and also the outcomes that she knows that the world is capable of, I think has served her incredibly well um, and served us incredibly well in the city and county of San Francisco. Um, Julie, Julian says to me, I'm not an expert in anything, but I'm happy to listen and be inspired. I'm not an expert, but I'm happy to listen. And I think it's that humility that um, underscores her openness and enthusiasm enthusiasm that has led to some pretty phenomenal things that Ivar just listed and that Commissioner Chu listed. The, the way she thinks about the airport as a city with all the opportunities and the challenges and her willingness to be curious and find out about things she doesn't know. And then at the end of the day, bring everyone together in one room so that the system is represented so that the system can change. So Julian, I think you're, I know that you're leaving behind an amazing legacy of how to get hard things done. And you've earned this fun times that's ahead of you and you are going to be missed a whole lot. So thank you, thank you for leaving us in such better hands than and better place than we were before you start. <laughs> Thank you. Boy, I was kind of anxious coming onto the call, but you guys are all so sweet. This was uh, pretty easy. My wife and I just drove all day from uh, Sonoma down to Palm Springs. We're gonna start out with six weeks here as a kickoff into uh, phase two or three or four of our lives. But really, thank you. Thank you, President Stevenson. I really appreciated your opening remarks. And uh, Commissioner Chu for uh, getting through the resolution. The only thing I'll, I'll edit is it's not she, it's us. It's hundreds of us. Um, I, As Deborah well said, I am an expert in nothing. Ivar is an aviation expert. Deborah's a scientist. I'm an organizer. And, uh, but it's been a lot of fun pulling together the experts, if you will. I was asked to come down to SFO 15 years ago. And I remember saying, I don't know anything about airports or airplanes. I don't even, I don't even know the name of the plane I'm gonna fly on my vacation or any. And John Martin was like, it doesn't matter. What I need is somebody who cares about how to connect this great airport and make it sustainable. And I, I don't even think I understood what he meant when he said sustainable. It's like, well, SFO seems to be doing pretty good. And it's like, no, sustainable to the planet, making sure that how SFO as a footprint, as an organization, that its footprint leaves behind a sustainable planet, that its impact on its workers leaves behind people that have enough money to raise their families here and have a career that its impact on the Bay Area and the governments that it serves, the nine counties, that the economic largesse helps this region, you know, and that's what sustainability is. And as a public agency, it's our responsibility to try and figure that out. And so the charge was to try and come down to SFO, and we did. We first set out, Ivar, uh, you remember, and did this 
called in all the experts from Silicon Valley, all over, probably some folks from DOE, to say, how is it that we can reduce energy, uh, reduce emissions, uh, save water? What can we do as an airport? Is it possible? And we sat around for hours with all these really smarty pants people, scientists and presentations, and we paid. And by the end, everybody in that room was convinced, yes, we can. We can get to zero in all of these. We can get to zero energy. We can get to zero emissions. And we can have all recycled, reclaimed water. None of us knew how. We didn't have any baselines. So I hear you guys talking about the targets, the goals. Unfortunately, we just set the big, hairy, audacious goal. We're getting to zero. And what we found the real work was is turning the page there and figuring out, okay, now how do we harness the energy of the 2,000 people who work for the city and county, all the engineers, the architects, the custodians, the analysts, financial people, they have to understand what sustainability is and help us get there, right? That's the hard work. And then we realized, oh, wait a minute, it's not just us, the 2,000 city workers. We have hundreds, literally hundreds of businesses at SFO, global airline partners, 150,000 workers a day come on the property when we're in operation, and 70 million passengers a year. How do we get all of them behind this idea of sustainability? And that really is the hard work. It's getting everybody to agree so that when we, uh, and Ivar used to be the development director, you know, he's got a $7 billion capital plan. How do we make sure the hundreds, literally, of engineers, that as they think about building a new terminal, they're gonna make it sustainable? We, you know, they have to do that on their own volition, and they did. And so I think the big challenge and where we've been successful, and that's why she, she, she doesn't make any sense, it's we, 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 have gotten to a place where we've reduced the energy, as was said before. We're going to put up a uh, not only wastewater treatment plant, but they're going to put a, a recycling plant, a, a waste, you know, a water recycling plant. And Debbie's team, I really have to give you a, lot, a big shout out. Her expertise, she has brought her staff down to SFO. We have an MOU with you guys. We have for several years because they can help us get there to these goals. So. I just want to make it clear that it's it's taken a lot of folks. And really, it's our worst skeptics that end up being the best. Now, Ivar, he really was the guy that hammered the plastic water ban through. He finally, when he became director, because we've been talking about it for a long time. But businesses made so much money. Like a little teeny restaurant at the airport was making $2 million a year selling water bottles. They were selling millions of them, right? And so we were like a little anxious. We had all these contracts with them and in their contract, obviously that was their revenue line. And he just jammed it through. And the funny thing was they wanted to do it. Why? Because there's small businesses here. One of the guys who oversees like seven restaurants whispered in my ear. He said, Julian, I was with my daughter at Pacifica Beach last week. I saw the plastic. I saw the plastic. They get it. They're us, these are our small businesses, right? So we're doing it. And then one last story, because the biggest partnership is the sustainable aviation fuel. And that was out of a partnership built out in Geneva. 
And it's a worldwide partnership, 150 people from across the world, everybody who is producing new sustainable aviation fuel built, um, you know, made out of things like uh, fats, oils in Greece, garbage, seaweed, sustainable. And uh, we had Shell call me up and say, Julian, I, I want to join. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you're, you're the guys making the Jet A. And, you know, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, if Shell doesn't pivot and start doing sustainable fuel, nothing changes. I said, come on over. So they come to the meeting. Everybody's a little suspect. What are they doing in here? And they said, Julian, can we meet with you afterwards? So I get into this conference room. It's all these white boys, executives on one side of the table. And they lean over and they say, you know why we're here? And I really was like, no, I, I don't really. And they said, because we don't want to be Kodak. We know the future is coming. And we're not going to sit around and act like it's all about petroleum. So all this to say, it, the people you, that I thought would be the hardest to convince to get on board and to participate in this are not. But they've got to be brought to the table. You have to have everybody there. I, you know, we're going to keep our, our goals are going to be zero. Um, and we do. Ivar has pushed as an engineer. He's much better than I was at uh, target our uh, dates, our a plan, a strategic plan. But we're there. And we have hundreds of people pushing in that direction. And I feel very confident. And I just have to thank the leadership of people like you guys on this commission and the people who call in and say, hey, I want more. I want more out of San Francisco and Mayor Newsom and London Breed. And, and yeah, I'd have to say Biden. Because the one thing is, for me, I mean, he wrote an executive directive that came out last week and he told every agency, I want you guys to go through and figure out how does your agency change policies to uh, reduce climate, you know, reduce uh, the problems that we're having with climate and to reduce energy. It takes that kind of commitment to make every agency, and that's what the airport did. We went through everything we touched and figured out how do we make this work. So it makes a huge difference. My only regret is that I'm not going to be there when there's a you know, a supportive leadership in Washington. I think uh, it will be a lot more fun for all of you. And uh, that's, that's that. So thank you, thank you. Very honored that you guys called me up here after this long drive and uh, appreciate all that you do. That's awesome. Thank you for your remarks and thank you for your excellent work. It's one of the I think one of the great joys of being in San Francisco is that we get to um, kind of show the rest of the world how things can be done in so many ways. And I love the fact that for so many people that starts when they step foot on into our airport, right? Before they even, you know, get out onto the land, they've, they've seen a bit of what we can do and how we focus on sustainability. And I really appreciate your work toward that. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioners, does anyone have any comments? What President Stevenson said. <laughs> Great work. Hey, Mike Sullivan, nice to see you. You too. All right, well, let's open up public comment on this item, please. Members of the public, you can call in and Katie's gonna tell you how. <laughs> so I've just put the instructions for making a comment back up on the screen and please remember 
that you will have three minutes to make your comment and comments should be related to this agenda item, which is the Environmental Service Award to Julian Potter. And give me one second while I check our queue. And I do see that we have one caller in the queue. So I will start our timer and unmute our caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, David Pilpel again. So I think I first met Julian when she was in the mayor's office and that seems like a long time ago now. Uh, SFO, the airport, is not just about operations and security. In addition to planning, engineering, finance, and administration, the idea of policy at airports is still a bit new, and Julian made it a thing for all of us, using public agencies, their infrastructure, and operations in a way that challenges people to do better as to air, land, and water is a necessary and positive agenda. As I said earlier, we need to be good stewards of the land and resources. None of us are here for very long, and we should try to leave things better than we found them. I think Julian has done that at SFO and for the city generally, and I appreciate her work and wish her well. Thanks. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. All right, then. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Enjoy bye -bye. your time in Palm Springs. Katie, let's move to the next item, please. All right, we'll move on to item six, review and vote on whether to approve resolution filed 2021-01-COE on Ramatush Ohlone land acknowledgement. The sponsor is Elmi Bermejo, commissioner, and the speaker is Sharia Souza, executive director and co-founder of the American Indian Cultural District. The explanatory document is resolution file number 2021-01-COE, and this item is for discussion and possible action. Thank right, you, Katie. Commissioner Bermejo, go ahead. Yes, and let me just make sure that I am not perfect. Okay, well, thank you so much for that, Katie. As you all know, the Office of Racial Equity developed an action plan template for city departments that has a section specifically for boards and commissions. An action was added to that section of the template to pass a resolution to include an acknowledgement that is taking place on Ramatush Ohlone land at the beginning of all meetings. This has already been implemented by the Board of Supervisors, as well as the Human Rights Commission and others. And it is really important, um, a very important next step for our racial equity work. I'm very excited to introduce Shreya Souza, who is the Executive Director and Co-Founder of the American Indian Cultural District. She is here to tell us more about the importance of this acknowledgement, why we need to elevate traditional knowledge, and how we can partner with her and the Association of Ramatush Ohlone moving forward. But first, I'd like to take uh, this opportunity to read the resolution in its entirety with the acknowledgement. I'd also like to note that an adapted version of the acknowledgement will be developed for policy and operations committee meetings. And the, um, it goes like this. Whereas the San Francisco Commission on the Environment acknowledges that the Ramatushaloni are the original peoples of the San Francisco Peninsula. And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that the area comprising the city and county of San Francisco was originally inhabited by the Yelamu, an independent tribe of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples, 
And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that the Association of Ramatush Ohlone has actively worked to research, expand public awareness of, and preserve Ohlone history and culture. And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that the Ramatush Ohlone peoples have survived the brutalities of colonialism, enslavement, genocide, discrimination, racism, gender-based violence, theft, forced assimilation, and other atrocities driven by local, federal, and global governments. And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that environmental degradation is caused by colonization and that the Ramatush Ohlone peoples as original caretakers of Yelamu have maintained balance with nature for millennia. And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that early environmentalists and conservationists were part of efforts to forcibly remove people and deny indigenous wisdom, traditional ecological knowledge, and indigenous practices and rights to the land. And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that Ramatushaloni peoples are not a mythical population of the past, but an integral and active community in the present San Francisco Bay Area region and beyond, whose ongoing exclusion and invisibility denied the greater Native American community inclusion and respect in San Francisco. And whereas the Commission on the Environment acknowledges that the city and county of San Francisco was founded on unceded territory and that the existence of the city and county on this land continues to contribute to the erasure and exclusion of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples. And whereas to acknowledge the truth of the lands and people's history is a human right and a demonstration of honor and respect for the contributions and sacrifices of the Ramatush Ohlone ancestors that inhabit and care for this land before us. Now, therefore, be it resolved from the date, this date forward, the San Francisco Commission on the Environment will state the following land acknowledgement at the beginning of each commission meeting. The land acknowledgement is as follows. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramatush Ohlone understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramatush Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to Warip, Mother Earth, and the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded lost nor forgotten the responsibilities as caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their ter traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge in how we care for San Francisco and all its people. 
and be it further resolved that an adapted version of this acknowledgement will also be read at the beginning of operations and policy committee meetings of the Commission on the Environment. And be it further resolved that the Commission on the Environment instructs the department to develop a protocol for when or how this might be implemented at department meetings and events and be a further resolved that the Commission on the Environment's land acknowledgement is just the first step needed in acknowledging and honoring the land, culture, wisdom, and contributions of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and be a further resolved that the Commission on the Environment will establish a relationship with the Ramatush Ohlone by engaging in a meaningful tribal consultation process to understand their unique needs, concerns, and knowledge as the original caretakers of Yalamu. And be it further resolved that the Commission on the Environment will engage with San Francisco's American Indian Cultural District and other American Indian stakeholders to elevate American Indian traditional ecological knowledge, concerns, and expertise and be a further result that the Commission on the Environment urges all boards and commissions in the city and county of San Francisco to begin each meeting with the above land acknowledgement, which was approved by the Association of Ramatu, Ramatush Ohlone. And with that, please welcome Shariah. Thank you, Commissioner, for reading that resolution. And thank you all for taking that time to put that together. Hello, everyone. My name is Sharia Souza Tatat House Pueblo Ute in Kiowa. I'm the Executive Director for the American Indian Cultural District. It's an honor to be here today on behalf of my Ramatishaloni relatives, and they asked me to send their sincere gratitude to the commissioners for doing this important uh, resolution to honor the Ramatishaloni relatives. My Ramatish relative, Greg Castro, also wants people to know that no matter where Ramatishaloni people reside, they know that this is their home, they are proud to be connected to this area and that they carry an inherent responsibility as original caretakers to continue the traditional ways of caring for this land. That being said, we see this resolution as the first step to building a meaningful relationship to building a meaningful relationship with the Ramatushaloni, American Indian traditional knowledge keepers. And we would like to thank the Commission on the Environment for committing to establish meaningful relationship in the following ways. To engage in tribal consultation with the Ramatushaloni people, to appoint a point of contact or liaison to meet with the Ramatushaloni and American Indian cultural keepers, and to include traditional ecological knowledge moving forward in policymaking, planning, and climate change initiatives. By implementing these asks, you are ensuring that Ramatush traditional knowledge, needs, and concerns are respectfully embedded in your planning process. I want to take this opportunity to talk to you all a little bit today about traditional ecological knowledge. As an American Indian woman, it's not only my responsibility, but it's also a passion. As we go out and we see the water that's in front of us in San Francisco, we see this bay. But this bay isn't just this bay. It's actually one large body of water that covers 70% of this earth. And that's the best way to explain traditional ecological knowledge. One of our North Fork Mono tribal chairman, Ron Good, who's a leader in traditional ecological knowledge, describes it as, if you want to know about the future, our elders always say start with the past. They will tell you how we got here. People only want to go back 30 years to create models for the next 150 years, tribal chairman said. Today, we all face the same fundamental threat, and that's climate change. 
Traditional ecological knowledge is a system of stewardship that has existed for thousands of years, built in the same way that we use modern science through observation and experimentation. But traditional ecological knowledge was built around generations of knowledge and built on a deep, meaningful relationship and understanding with Mother Earth. Our connection to this land is really important and significant as traditional people, and it's been passed down for generations. It's been gathered and developed to adapt to environmental changes for our people to become resilient, and it's been passed down through oral knowledge. This includes climate, this includes climate conditions as well. And one of the really great examples um, that Chairman Ron Good gave at the 2018 Water Summit was one of the fires that happened in Sonoma County. There was a very large fire and he had said that, you know, predictions for tribal knowledge was that there had been a fire there every 50 years. But when they went into the planning and development, they ignored these things. And so hundreds of lives were lost and lots of homes were lost in this fire. Same thing that happened with Yosemite. I think if we would have used, you know, traditional ecological knowledge in those thousands of years of traditional burning, then we would have been able to save some of our important forest areas. So I think that this is a really unique opportunity today not just to pay respects to the Ramatushaloni, but an opportunity to combine science and indigenous knowledge and embed this knowledge into our policy-making decisions. Like Ron Good said, if we wanna know about the future, we need to start with the past. So I just wanna thank you all today for taking the time to make this really meaningful resolution and really make this commitment to move forward to engaging with the community. I think that the work that you do on the climate is you know, um, important and imperative. And a lot of people look at this urban area and they don't understand that everything that we do impacts this land and that we have such a small amount of this area also that's undeveloped. And I think that we need to be really mindful, um, you know, in those areas as well as in incorporating that traditional knowledge and those traditional plant ways and some of those different things that the Ramatush community and other local relatives can bring in that they have that knowledge of for thousands of years. So I want to thank you all today for taking that commitment. I think that this is a great step forward for San Francisco, and I'm excited to work with you all and excited to see how this plays out in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Commissioners, are there any questions or discussion about the resolution? Let's see all hands raised. All right, can we open it up to public? Oh, we need to take a, we need a motion first, please. Is there a motion in support of the resolution from a commissioner? Move to approve. Commissioner on. Is there a second? Commissioner Chu, thank you very much. All right, we've had a motion and a second. Can we open it up to public comment, please? Right, I will share the instructions for making a public comment on this agenda item. And just a reminder, you will have three minutes to make your comment and please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I am seeing that we have a couple callers in the queue. So give me one second while I pull up a timer and I will unmute our first caller now. Hi, Daniel Tahar again. Um, I'm excited about uh, this resolution um, and really appreciated um, the lessons um, that we have to learn. Um, I did want to say that I think the best way we can acknowledge and honor the Ramatushaloni people, although I don't want to speak for them, uh, would be to actually learn from them 
uh, and to take heart their to heart their understanding of stewardship and the idea that humans are a part of nature, not apart from it. Um, all the acknowledgments and, and words mean nothing if we don't follow up with action. We can't continue to endlessly consume and blindly enjoy the comforts of our wealth uh, and be faithful to the resolution here. We can't merely green growth uh, as we try to tackle the climate crisis or the economic crisis. We really need to radically reshape how we live in our relationship to the world around us. Um, that's basically all I have to say. Uh, thanks again. Um, yeah. Thank you for your comment. Okay, I will unmute our next caller now. Thank you very much. Good evening, commissioners, um, Soraya, and our previous uh, callers. My name's Mary Travis Allen. I'm the president of the advisory board for the American Indian Cultural District. As we have seen in the past years, and even though this past presidency has denied over and over again, the importance of recognizing climate change. And if people had listened to our traditional leaders and listened to how the original people respect the land and respect each other, we'd be in a better place. We don't live in the old way. We exist in the modern world. With all its complexities and challenges, diseases, and everything that has been brought on us and imposed on us, it's very important that we get your support on this resolution so that we can help the people here on this Ohlone land, come back and also respect the land and reinvigorate not just the land, but the people. And I think that San Francisco can be that example in so many ways. Yalamu is here. Yalamu has always been here, such as the people. Thank you for your time, and I hope and encourage you to vote in the affirmative of this resolution. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I will unmute our next caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. David Pilpel again. So in addition to my earlier comments, if someone could connect this land acknowledgement to toxics reduction and zero waste goals for ratepayers who fund about half the department through the impound account to their uh, garbage bills, then maybe I could get on board. Otherwise, I stand by those earlier comments. Uh, and just very briefly to Mary Travis Allen, who uh, spoke before me, who I liked very much when she was at MTA. I think her recent uh, efforts um, around uh, several issues are causing much division in the city at a very tense time for everyone, and I hope um, she'll take an opportunity to think about that. Thanks. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and I am seeing that we have two more callers in the queue. So I will unmute our next caller and restart the timer now. Um, I'm somewhat 
sympathetic to Mr. Pelpel's concerns uh, about being this being a slippery slope. Although I, I do think um, that you know, since this is you know the original land of the Ohlone people, it it is you know somewhat different than say you know having a special acknowledgement for every um, you know marginalized community who that's ever lived in San Francisco. Um, although I I don't know if this is a particularly useful thing. Um, San Francisco has a problem with, you know, with making acknowledgments and not actually doing anything. It's, it's a place of, of lots of nice speeches and fine words, but um, oftentimes this just tends to translate into um, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Um, all while saying that we're actually helping the marginalized, um, but that that's not what happens. Um, so I, I would agree that you know, um, as Mr. Pilbell says, you know, if this could be connected in some way to actually, you know, some sort of action. I, I did like the part um, in the uh, about how, uh, in addition to you know this verbal acknowledgement of Ohlone land. That there needs to be um, connection, you know, outreach to um, tribes. Uh, so I, I think that's more important. I think it's less important that we have this, you know, verbal acknowledgement that we live on a Haloni land, uh, and um, it, it's more important that um, you know we we engage with um, with the original um, tribes and um, seek their input for. Uh, land and uh, environmental issues. So I, I think that that's really the important part. So I think that should be the focus rather than saying, oh, we we acknowledge that this is originally tribal land and then not actually doing anything afterwards. Um, so, so yeah, uh, following up this acknowledgement with some action would be, you know, greatly appreciated. Uh, so that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and I'm going to unmute our last commenter now. Hi, this is Chris again. Um, I just wanna thank you so much for bringing this important resolution. Um, you know, I, I really think we need systems change in this city and beyond, and we need to listen to indigenous wisdom. If we do not codify this wisdom and law, we risk our bioregion and the entire climate. And I'm not speaking for indigenous groups, I just wanted to express some of the connections I've been making in you know, recent months with indigenous wisdom and this theory of degrowth. You know, our current economic model um, and the current economic um, system in this city and the city's climate plan are not set up to successfully and equitably achieve deep emissions reductions at an emergency speed. The capitalist economic system, which is based on extraction, enclosure, commodification, colonization, exploitation, the service of endless growth and accumulation of wealth and unequal distribution is at the heart of the present climate and ecological crisis. The growth imperative requires the comp uh, that we you know, reduce growth um, every year. Otherwise, we're gonna extract too much from the earth. We can't just grow our way out of this crisis. We can't just rely on green growth. I think it's possible, however, to learn from indigenous wisdom, build a new economic system, that operates on you know, the idea of reciprocity with nature vis-a-vis -vis all other beings in, on earth as a system. 
And we need a new system that centers human happiness, well-being, and the rights of nature above raw economic indicators such as GDP and growth. Economic growth and activity can be fairly redistributed to low carbon and productive sectors. By rethinking this destructive economic system and moving away from unbridled growth for growth's sake toward a system that centers human needs and well-being and reciprocity with nature, we can lower emissions, reduce inequality, and recenter ourselves as part of a larger Earth. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and I am seeing that we have one additional caller, and so I will unmute them now. So commissioners, I want to make a statement. I earlier said, I represent the Muakma Ohlone, who exercised the right of first refusal. But if you go into our general management plan, the Muakma Ohlone are mentioned, and you can read the details of why they are mentioned in the San Francisco General Management Plan. We, meaning all those who respect our ancestors, must first see that we do not allow the desecration of the shell mounds that are all over San Francisco. We must acknowledge certain facts that up until 1927, you could kill a Native American and fetch $5 for the Native American scalp. There are such atrocities that we have to bring to the attention of those who do not know about it. But at the same time, meet with the mayors, meet with the Human Rights Commission, which the Mwakma Ohlone have done. We have two commendations. They are mentioned in the general management plan. And it would be good not to reinvent the will, but to see what has been done, the foundation that has been established, so that with a clean heart, we can take everybody to a better place. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and we and I am seeing that we have one an additional caller in the queue, and so I will unmute them now. Hello, this is Casey Real Salisbury, and I'm uh, a member of the public, and I work with the Demonstration Gardens. Um, my um, my recommendation is that the resolution be approved, and under as we understand that. Uh, our relationships aren't perfect. The resolution will be perfected or made more perfect over time um, and by using it and by developing the, the relationships that have uh, led to the position that we're in now where um, our environment is in such need of repair. I think 
we have to uh, look to ancestral knowledge about the land to uh, find out what we need to do more equitably. And um, thank you for taking my statement. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I think we might actually, sorry, I think we have one additional caller in the queue and so I'm going to unmute them now. Yes, hello, my name is Debbie Santiago. I'm a member of the Waukesha tribe in Nevada, California. We are the original keepers of the land and having this resolution go forward, we'll be seeing that the Ramatishaloni to respect the land of the original land keepers of San Francisco and throughout and near of San Francisco here. We are intertribal, interconnect to each other. We have always um, cared for the land and all the animals. To not have this revolution, resolution here in San Francisco for the future of the climate change would be a travesty to all living beings that are here in San Francisco. We have to be learned from the past in order to move forward, to keep this changing all around us so this we will have a better place and to live upon this area. And to acknowledge that is to remember the past and to know our young ones are moving forward into this climate change. So having this will be a better change for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and I'm seeing no more callers in the queue. Okay, can we then move to a roll call vote unless there are other comments by commissioners or questions? All right, let's move to a vote, please. All right, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President Ahn. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. Okay. All right, the motion passes. Thank you all for your comments. Let's move to the next item, please. All right, we'll move on to item seven, review and vote on whether to approve the Department of the Environment's fiscal year 2021 to 22 and 2022 to 23 budget. The sponsor is Deborah Raffel, director, and the speaker is Joseph Salem, program manager, finance and administration. The explanatory document is the draft Department of the Environment fiscal year 2021 to 2022 and 2022 to 23 budget. And this item is for discussion and possible action. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you, President Stevenson. Thank you, Katie. Um, so despite everything that changed in 2020, there is one thing that doesn't change, and that is the beginning of the year. We come to you with our budget. Uh, as you know, the Board of Supervisors enacted legislation aimed at increasing transparency of the budget process. And what they said was that commissions needed to have two public meetings talking about the budget. After checking with the city attorney, uh, we realized, uh, well, they informed us and we realized that our operations committee and our full committee would serve those two public meetings if they were separated by at least 15 days. So that was the change that we had to make. And that is why this full commission meeting is uh, in early February 
as opposed to back in January. Um, so this is then that second meeting, uh, that second public meeting uh, concerning the budget. So I just wanted to set that context and we will be hearing a uh, high level presentation from Joe Salem and then we'll have time to, of course, ask answer questions or hear from the public. So with that, I'll turn it over to Joe. Thank you. Uh, actually, I'm going to have you uh, forward. Thank you, Kenny. I'm going to you forward one slide, please. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Joe Salem. I'm the fiscal manager for the Department of the Environment. And tonight, I'll be giving you a brief presentation of the fiscal 21-22 draft budget. Uh, a couple quick things before we get started. Um, this is a draft budget. And as such, we expect there's going to be changes between now and the time that we submit it to the mayor's office on February 22nd. Uh, the second is that we're not going to be reviewing the fiscal 2022-2023 budget in this presentation. While we're mandated to submit a two-year budget, it's impossible for us to know this far out uh, what our grant funding is going to look like in that outlying year. And thus, we don't feel that we can give an accurate assessment of that fiscal year at this time. Uh, slide change, please. So the city is currently projecting a $653 million deficit over the next two fiscal years. As a result uh, of this projected deficit, the mayor's office is requiring all general fund departments to reduce their ongoing expenditures by 7.5% in both fiscal 2022 and fiscal 2023 with an additional 2.5% of reductions identified as a contingency in each year if the economic outlook worsens. This means that departments must reduce their general fund support by 15% over the next two fiscal years and identify an additional 5% in potential reductions. Uh, while the Department of the Environment does not receive any general fund support, we do face some potential impact as non-general fund departments are expected to absorb uh, any increasing any increases, excuse me, in our operating costs. Uh, next slide, please. So in past years, we focused exclusively on our department's operating budget, but recently the Board of Supervisors modified the budget adoption process to require that all departments hold at least two public hearings on their proposed budget to ensure that the public has access to and input into the department's budget development process. Uh, I interpret the word proposed to mean our annual appropriation ordinance or AAO budget proposal, as that is what we delivered to the mayor's office on February 22nd. In light of this, I've included in this presentation a couple slides that show the AAO budget alongside our operating budget to give the most complete and transparent view possible of our budgeting process. So what is the difference between our AAO budget and our operating budget? Our operating budget takes into consideration the department's entire current projection for sources and uses in any given year. The operating budget includes funds being requested through the AAO process, which is what we refer to, uh, or how we refer to the budget process, and funds that have been previously approved that will be utilized in the next fiscal year. These are typically uh, grants awarded mid-year, 
uh, and appropriated through a board resolution process called the accept and expend process, uh, mid-year interdepartmental work orders, and multi-year grants. So you can think of the AAO budget as a subset of our operating budget in that our operating budget always contains our entire AAO budget request. In light of this, I'm going to discuss our operating budget this evening with the understanding that our AAO request is entirely embedded in our operating budget. I feel this is the best way to provide the most comprehensive and thorough view of the budget process. Uh, which brings us to the current slide. This slide shows side by side our current draft AAO proposal and our current operating budget proposal. As you can see, there's a large variance between what we are proposing in new funding, which is what the annual appropriation side illustrates, and what we are currently expecting in operational funding for the next fiscal year. Uh, nowhere is this variance greater illustrated than in the grant review row. We currently expect to request about $464,000 in our AAO submission to the mayor's office, but we expect to recognize almost $6 million in operating revenue from grant sources in fiscal 2022. These side-by-side -side comparisons will hopefully show the magnitude of the variances and why we feel it's important to review our total operating budget. Uh, turning to the operating budget, you'll see that we currently have a significant deficit for 2022 as it stands today. Uh, the majority of the 623,000 deficit is directly related to an increase in labor costs and to uh, the department, excuse me, labor costs to the department and various grants and work order considerations. Uh, I should note that while this figure looks significant, and it is, it represents less than 2% of our operating budget. Uh, for context, uh, we had a deficit of about $865,000 last year at this time. Uh, slide change, please. So this slide shows how our budget is broken out by funding source and by program expenditure. I've added the AAO figures for illustrative purposes to again, show the differences in what we submit through the AAO budget process and our anticipated operational budget. So while our AAO budget request currently shows solid waste impound funding comprising 65% of our budget, in reality, it's currently anticipated to be about 49% of our operating budget. Now, similarly, uh, for the expenditures by program, you can see a very material difference between the AAO request and the operating budget request as they stand today. Uh, the most glaring example of this is in our energy program, where the expenditures are currently 2% of our budget at the AAO level, but over 21% of our operations budget level. Uh, these last two slides highlight why I'm presenting uh, our operating budget, as the AAO submission would appear to ignore about $6 million in operational funding for the next fiscal year, and would give an incomplete picture of the department's operational funding. Next slide, please. So this slide shows the year-over-year -year changes in the operational budget from the current fiscal year to the next fiscal year. As you can see, there's a substantial revenue decrease in the operating budget from approximately 39 million to about 26.7 million. 
This is primarily due to reductions in three areas, grants, fees, and we call fund balance. The reduction in grant funding is tied directly to the fact that we had several multi-year grants that were fully funded upfront through the AAO process in fiscal 2021, which means that the entire budget for the grants is reflected in this current fiscal year, even though we'll be budgeting operationally against these grants for three years. An example of this is the Energy Programs Bayren grant. This grant is $12.7 million and is op that is operationally funded over a three-year period. But because we received the whole grant up front, that $12.7 million was entirely recorded in fiscal 2021. The result of this is that our budget for fiscal 2021 shows the entire grant amount, but our fiscal 2022 shows only our planned operational spending in that year. And the AAO budget will actually show zero um, as from an AAO standpoint, the entire 12.7 million was recorded in fiscal 2021. Another area we see a big reduction is in the fees category. And this is due to a reduction in anticipated fees related to the cigarette litter abatement program. As you're probably all aware, uh, the Department of the Environment passes through 100% of this funding to the Department of Public Works and the Tax Collector's Office. Uh, finally, we see a reduction, uh, really a, a closing out really of the fund balance category. These are funds that are related to our move from 1455 Market Street to 1155 Market Street that were one time in nature. On the expenditure side, we see decreases in really every category. Uh, these reductions are almost entirely related to the grant fee and move cost reductions we saw in the revenue slide. I should point out that the approximately $1 million reduction in personnel costs is due to how those costs were recorded in the AAO for fiscal 2021 and do not represent an actual reduction in funding for personnel. Next slide. So here we see a list of our work orders with other city departments and our programming partnerships. Uh, as you can see, we work closely with many city departments. These work orders are vital to our department's funding and we greatly value the interdepartmental relationships. During this time of financial, excuse me, economic difficulty, however, they also represent our greatest funding vulnerability. Uh, departments are under tremendous pressure to find reductions in their budgets. Providing important services to our partner departments consists of about 14% of our operating revenue and our staff work hard to maintain positive relationships with these departments by demonstrating through providing exceptional deliverables, the value of the services that we provide the city family. Uh, I'd like to take a moment actually to, to, to acknowledge our staff's role um, in making these work orders happen. Uh, their dedication to maintaining and growing these important relationships are incredibly uh, helpful and, and have made um, uh, my job much, much easier in terms of uh, how, we <clears throat> how we incorporate these work orders into our budget. Next slide, please. And these are the key dates for the budget uh, process for 2021-2022. For uh, as you can see here, the next uh, big deadline here is our submission of a balanced budget to the mayor's office in, on February 22nd. 
Uh, May will mark the beginning of the Board of Supervisors budget hearings. The hearings will be held in May and June with the Department of Environment historically being heard in the May group. Uh, the fiscal 2021-22 budget will be adopted on July 31st and by August 27th, we, along with every other city department, will submit a letter to the mayor's office certifying that the budget was adopted and is adequate and that we do not require any supplemental general funding. Uh, next slide, please. So we'll be working hard uh, over the next month to balance the shortfall that we have, uh, examining all of our expenditures and pursuing potential sources of additional revenue to close the gap. Uh, as we do not anticipate any cuts to service levels, we will be taking a look at our budget department-wide, identifying required expenditures and potential areas where we can reduce costs. We will also be aggressively seeking out new forms, new sources of revenue, applying for grants and seeking partnerships wherever the potential exists. While I'm confident that we can deliver a balanced budget, excuse me, that we will deliver a balanced budget to the mayor on February 22nd, there certainly is some work to be done and some strategic decisions to be made over the next three weeks. Uh, this concludes my presentation and I'm happy to take any questions you may have. Thank you, Joe, that was great. It was informative and as you know from the operations meeting, I really appreciated the discussion up front about the AAO versus the operating budget. I think it was helpful for really articulating the specifics of how we do this, which I know is strange for our department compared to everyone else. Um, or most other departments. Um, commissioners, do you have any questions or comments about the budget? All right, see any questions or comments? Does anyone wanna make a motion to approve the budget that was or to approve, I think the recommendation by the operations committee, is that right? Correct. To approve the recommendation by the operations committee to approve the budget. Commissioner Wald, sorry. You are making a motion? I move. I move. And I will second. And Commissioner Sullivan seconds. Great. Can we open it up to public comment, please? Yes, I will share the instructions for making public comment on this item, which is the department bu budget. Um, sorry. Um, doing a sound check. <laughs> Uh, just a reminder that comments should be related to this item and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I am seeing that we have currently have two callers in the queue. And so I will pull up the timer and unmute our first caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great. David Pilpel again. Um, so I'll uh, read parts of administrative code section 3.3 in sub C. Uh, it says it requires a public meeting concerning each agency's proposed budget. The budget that the agency presents at this meeting shall provide the following information if applicable to the agency, all agency divisions, budget totals, and major changes, including new or reduced initiatives and staffing changes, changes in service levels, projected salary savings, and how the agency is meeting budget instruction targets. The purpose of this meeting shall be to allow for public input into the agency's budget for the upcoming fiscal years prior to the agency's submission of a proposed budget to the controller. So I don't see all of those required elements here tonight to comment on. 
I'm concerned with classifications, FTE counts, and organization charts. I've asked for those details. I asked for them at the operations uh, committee meeting. I'm also concerned with use of impound account funds and tying those funds to programs and outcomes for the ratepayers. As Joe indicated, this presentation does not discuss fiscal year 2022 to 2023 at all. Further, I can't tell from the presentation the risk as to work orders from other departments that are general fund or non-general fund supported. Even if the commission isn't concerned about the details that I'm concerned about, the code requires certain content in order to have informed public participation on the budget. So I will continue to follow up, but I am disappointed that some of these elements don't appear to be here tonight. Thanks. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I will unmute our next caller now, and your three minutes will begin now. Hi, my name is Helena Barecki, and I live in D9. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah. Am I muted? Yes, we can hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I live in D9 on Ramaytush Ohlone land, and I agree that we have to remember the past in order to move forward. It is especially pertinent to the budget process that the original peoples of this land consider the effect of their actions on seven generations to come. The Department of Environment is responsible for plans and actions, especially related to climate and environmental justice, which drastically affects not only us, but our children, grandchildren, and beyond. The Department of Environment cannot meet this existential challenge without much more dedicated funding. I ask the commission today not to approve the proposed budget until further discussions can be had with the board and mayor to increase dedicated funding for climate, pollution reduction, and environmental justice efforts, especially in the time of COVID where we know that air pollution is increasing hospital admissions and deaths, that climate-fueled fire disasters are worsening both the COVID crisis and housing crisis. We cannot afford to not fund the department charged with meeting the climate emergency. It is unconscionable that the Department of Environment has to rely on grants to do its literally life-saving work. We cannot recover our economy without tackling these intertwined climate, health, and pollution crises. The current budget asks for less than 1% of 1% of our city budget for SFE's climate program when California has literally been burning in January. It spends a tiny portion of that on environmental justice, just as we need to be doing more to address the racial inequities in our society. We cannot reduce the Department of Environment's budget right now. We must increase its funding and fully fund its work. I really appreciate the work that the Department of Environment does. It is extraordinarily important work. And we need to do more, better, and faster if we are to have a livable future. Please make sure this budget is increased, not decreased as it currently stands and that the supervisors and mayor know that we can't afford not to fund our response to the climate and health emergency. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your comments. Okay, and I am now seeing that we have about four additional commenters in the queue, so I will unmute our next caller now. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. My name is Paul Wormer. 
And I'd like to second what the previous speaker said about the need uh, to adequately fund the, the, the department, especially with respect to climate change. Uh, this is a rapidly evolving uh, area in terms of our understanding. The models have always predicted a high and a low range, and we are always coming in when we look at the data on the high range of how quickly things are getting bad. There have just been two recently released reports, studies, showing, for example, that the the uh, 1.5 degree goal, which the city has signed up for, requires dramatic, at least 50% reductions by 2030. We're nowhere near on target for that. It's imperative that the Department of the Defense for Environment be resourced to manage this program for the city because quite frankly, no one else is managing it for the city and none of the other departments are tasked with the expertise necessary to understand the complex science, life cycle impacts, systems impacts that are needed to make rational decisions and give good guidance. So I'm extremely concerned that the funding is woefully inadequate to support the very complex problem that is arguably a focus of the city because of the climate emergency declaration. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and I will unmute our next caller now. Hi, commissioners. This is uh, Chris again, District 3 resident of San Francisco. Um, yeah, I just wanna speak generally here. Um, I understand that we're in a fiscal crisis right now, a fiscal emergency, money is tight, but we know generally the work that we have ahead of us. And it has to be on a 2030 timeline, at least. We need to update chapter nine. I think you all know where we need to go, but in order to do that, we have to fund it. And, you know, we might not have the money now, but it's imperative that we submit to the board of supervisors and the mayor, a list of how much it's gonna to cost to actually accomplish our goals at an emergency speed. If you speak to many of the supervisors, they're not even aware of what is necessary in terms of investment. And on top of that, you know, again, the money might, might not be there right now, but we need to, to think about, you know, bonds, taxes, fees at an emergency pace. And if we don't have this on paper laid out, then I'm not sure how we're ever going to accomplish our goals. And on top of that, you know, we speak about the Biden administration and how great it is that he's in power now. But if we're going to leverage that, we have to, you know, lay down on paper how much money we need so that Biden and Congress can actually procure that money. And the same goes for the state of California. We need to be showing our representatives in the state of California through the city government how much money we need to get this crisis under control. So I really hope that you can hold this over um, you know, a little bit longer to get these words into some kind of letter or some kind of statement that could be sent in conjunction with this budget report. And if we can't do that, um, I don't know, I'm kind of at a loss for words here. We, this is just not acceptable to keep funding a climate emergency on grants and impound money. We need to expand the pot. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I will unmute our next caller and your three minutes will begin now. 
Hi, I'm Sarah Greenwald. I'm a constituent in District 2. And as a San Franciscan, I value the SF Environment Department because it can keep the city from making decisions that will cause a lot of suffering. For example, due to sea level rise, we didn't anticipate a pollution we could avoid. SFE is really um, it's part of our way towards climate sanity. And so we need it to be well-funded and strong. So I'm also concerned that the proposed budget just won't get us there. And I'm also asking you to not approve it yet until um, it, this, the, it can be discussed further with the board and the mayor. The proposed budget, uh, you know, the, asking for like 1% of 1% of the city's budget for the SFE climate program and the city did declare a climate emergency in 2019, quite correctly. I don't need to point to any of the science for you folks. And SFE, you know, they were strapped. They're having difficulty conducting the outreach that went into the all-electric new construction ordinance that, that passed last year. And that was great. And, it, and that had been a goal for 2030. So they, in a way, really outdid themselves, but leaves a lot more to do. And outreach and community involvement are crucial. And to do that, they had to dig into grant funding for it because the city didn't fund it. Uh, so, you know, and, and it disturbs me. Uh, the proposed budget asked for like a half of 1% of 1% of the city's budget for environmental justice. And we need to be doing a lot more than that to address the racial inequities in our environmental practices. So um, please uh, make sure that the mayor and the board can discuss the magnitude of the challenge and how much more is needed to prepare SFE to take it on, including, uh, as Chris mentioned, uh, at other levels of government. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I will unmute our next caller now. Hi, this is Daniel Tarr again, I'm resident of District 8. Uh, thanks for having me today. Um, I wanna echo a lot of the, the comments of the previous callers. Um, if a budget is an expression of our values, uh, then this budget says that things like climate, environmental justice, and the environment writ large are not important to the city of San Francisco. Uh, and that's not meant as a knock on the department, the individuals who put this budget together and those who do really great work every day. Um, but it is a demand that we do better. I've woken up every day the last three months with increasing dread and terror at my future. I struggle to explain to my parents and my partner's parents that the world that I'll grow old in will look nothing like the world in which they grew up, uh, nor the world as it exists now. I'm terrified and I've never felt that before. And yet the budget put forward today allocates less than 1% of 1% of the city's budget towards the Department of Environment's climate program. The same for green buildings and less than that for environmental justice. How are we supposed to reduce car carbon emissions to avert catastrophic climate change on a shoestring budget? How can we ask SFE staff to take on such a daunting challenge while simultaneously spending time chasing down grant money so that they can do the work that we so urgently need? We can't, we need to do better. Please don't approve the proposed budget until discussions can be had with the board and the mayor about the need for increased funding, specifically general fund money. Now is the time to set a precedent. The moment requires it. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. 
right, and it looks like we have one additional caller, so I will unmute them now. Good evening, this is Casey Asbury from District 6 and the Demonstration Gardens, and I'm speaking in favor of holding off on approving the budget until we can um, apply more pressure and influence to increase it. I am not uh, critical of the department's uh, construction of the budget. I'm critical of our public imagination for making sure that this department has what it needs to meet all of the increased challenges that we have to deal with. Uh, and if I recognize that in this time uh, where crisis precedes almost every uh, budgetary request, uh, it, it departments may be, city departments may be reluctant to uh, press for a larger share of a decreased um, set of revenues. However, as a member of the public, I w would like to say that I'm, I will work with you. I'll advocate for you with our Board of Supervisors to make sure you get what you need. And so I would respectfully ask that you hold off and let us support you to get more resources. Thanks. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm not seeing any additional callers in queue. All right, thank you callers. That was, I love public comment and I love hearing the, the passion and the excitement from everyone that's calling in. Commissioners, are there any conversations or questions or anything that we wanna discuss after listening to all that comment? Commissioner Ong. I would like to prompt staff to uh, respond to some of the public comment. I mean, we've had similar public comment in the past around our budget, but I'm struck by the volume this year, uh, probably because of the climate set of climate crises we faced and particularly with the California wildfires in the last year. But if, if there's a response for staff on how to, maybe the question is more global, how to increase the budget of the San Francisco Department of Environment and how the public can engage in that process, I think that would be really helpful. Debbie, why don't you answer and then Commissioner? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know that I have a, and there was a, just first, I want to also react if I may, that was a pretty amazing set of public comment. I was typing notes because some of the language that people used was so heartfelt and inspiring, I, I have to say. Um, I feel really lucky that we have such a, uh, such an, I don't even know what the word is to say, but such an engaged public that is showing up tonight. I'm super um, honored and humbled by it. I want to acknowledge that one thing uh, Casey Asbury said at the end, one of her last comments was, is that she, as an individual, said she would be there as a member of the public. And I, and I get the feeling that she's not alone, that Elena, Paul, Chris, Sarah, Daniel, they all would be there in person. They just need to know how. 
and that's what I hear from you, Commissioner, is, okay, we get it. How do, how do we go about changing the way the department is funded? We have very specific budget instructions as a department. We are following our budget instructions. Um, and so the real discussion happens, uh, it happens with supervisors in their offices. Uh, ideally, you know, if you wait till the budget hearings, that's almost too late. It happens when the public weighs into their elected officials, whether it's your mayor or your supervisor, letting them know how you feel. The commission also has the ability to weigh in as uh, appointees of the mayor and representing your city. And I have the ability to have those conversations as well. I would say that some conversations are better had outside of the public, and you know, in terms of one-on-ones in, in meetings, and some of them are better had in the court of public opinion to drive change. I want to acknowledge what many of our speakers have acknowledged, that this is a particularly tough time for the general fund, that general fund departments were asked this year to make significant cuts so much that we are worried about our work orders. Now we're not, we don't have any indication at this point that any one of them is um, very much in, in play or we would have brought that to you. Our expectation is we will be whole, but we can't guarantee that until we see all of the, the names. So all of the numbers. So I'm also intrigued by the ask of one of the speakers to say, well, what would it cost? What would it cost? If you were gonna really fund the Department of the Environment to lead on this, what does that number look like? And what does that number look like for a city who wants to meet a 2030 goal, right? As opposed to a 2050 goal, which is another thing I'm hearing over and over again. And that is not an easy answer. It's not something I'll be able to get done in, you know, by the next commission meeting. It is, however, I think a really fair question and one, if we don't own the answer to it, then we're never gonna plan for it in the future. So I do think that kind of, I would call it intellectual honesty is something that I can commit to trying to pull together that, that some of those numbers. Now there's the, what does it take for the Department of Environment? I would love to not be spending all of our time writing grants and begging other city agencies for money. Uh, not, a new, not a new state of affairs. Uh, if, if I can get some, if we collectively can find ways of getting this prioritized, that's how democracy works. So I don't know, Commissioner Ahn, is, that's as best as I can give you tonight. All right, Commissioner Sullivan, you wanted to speak. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to say I, I salute the, the callers who called in tonight, um, and especially the ones who expressed alarm and dread um, uh, because I share the alarm and the dread. And we're all reading the same reports from scientists um, about how it's worse than we thought. And we don't have until 2050. And we're going to hit two, two, two degrees. And, um, and it is alarming. Um, and so we can't, as a, as a non-general fund department, we can't create revenue out of thin air Unfortunately, um, I, I do think we should be, uh, be getting general fund support. 
Um, and um, I think maybe that's a, a, a solution in the medium or long term for the department. If we, if we want to do more, we need to find the funding. Maybe we should be getting general fund um, support. Um, but in, until then, um, I think we've got to do what we can with the resources that we have. But I, 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 I salute the callers. Um, I hope you'll keep calling in and, and expressing similar comments. And I hope you'll do it in other, um, you know, before the Board of Supervisors and other uh, places around the city where we can all make a difference. Commissioner Chu. Hi, um, I just wanted to share that I think there's a small part of me that's so proud of this department being able to be such, such a self-sustaining almost like, you know, a little entity in itself. And when I look at the budget, I'm like, oh, that balances and that balances. And at the operations committee, we're just trying to make sure everything balances. And I think the comments of tonight have forced us to basically take a step back and really elevate to a higher altitude where I really love the question, what could we do if we had more? And I'm sure that's not a question that is um, welcomed all the time at budget meetings uh, when it comes to different departments asking for different things and needing to be um, working within the constraints of everybody as a whole. So I hear that at the same time, going back to Commissioner Stevenson's comment about the Biden administration, I do think that this, if any time, it would be now to think bigger. And I do think San Francisco as a city supports these causes much more than you know many many other cities in this country so i think we have a responsibility to lead the way um, and to really show what's possible um, and maybe that first step is asking for more i don't know how far gone this particular budget conversation is um, within the the fiscal constraints of being a covid year number two um, but you know, I know there's a lot of local government um, experience folks within the Biden administration who would probably empathize with the needs of cities and mayors. Um, so I think if any time it would be now. Commissioner Wald. Uh, thank you. Uh, I too uh, want to thank the members of the public who came uh, tonight and who spoke so eloquently and movingly about the crisis that we all uh, face. But I, I, I want to thank uh, Debbie, our director, for her response uh, to those uh, comments and particularly for her acknowledgement uh, that the question of how much it will cost to do what the board and the mayor has instructed us to do, has put San Francisco on the record saying that we will do, is really critical. I, I thank the specific person who raised that point, and I hope, Debbie, that you will do the best you can as quickly as you can to give some concrete um, flesh, that's a very mixed metaphor, uh, uh, to, to the answer and maybe talk to other departments as well because as we've said so many times in the past, this is not something that we can do 
ourselves. We need the partnership and the help and assistance of many other uh, departments. But if we are going to get to where we say we want to be, where I know every person on this commission and every person in the department wants us to be, I think it is way past time that we started being honest and uh, frank about what it will take. Maybe it's a range, maybe there are options, maybe they relate to the deadlines, but let's do this for the board and for the residents of San Francisco. Thank you. Director Rafael, did you wanna speak again? I did, I just wanted to add um, one thing that I point that I didn't make that really gets to what Johanna is saying is, as well as others that, you know, the general fund is one source of funding, but there maybe there are others. And so one of the speakers talked about a price on carbon. And one of the things I have been uh, working on is trying to understand what the different options are for a city like San Francisco to raise funds separate from the general fund to help on our climate work. You know, uh, there's things called climate fees, climate taxes, price on carbon. There's different models. We are a city within California, so it's got its own legal constraints. So just to let you know, I have been reaching out to networks and to legal foundations to try and get some assistance. Again, this is sort of that catch 22. I don't have money to pay somebody to do that study for me. So I'm looking for donations, if you will, from C40 or Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance or University of California, you know, who will do the assessment to help a city like San Francisco that does have political will to think about how we start to raise revenue to pay for some of these things. Because if we keep going back to the general fund, we're gonna be competing with every other incredibly important thing that the general fund funds. And years like this year, where we've got an incredible pressure on the general fund to respond to our pandemic needs, we're gonna be fighting all the time. So we need to find a way to have revenue that is, you know, that is related to and helps us solve our climate problems that doesn't put us in such, a, such an arm wrestle with everyone else. And again, I don't know what those are. I want to learn about them so I can bring something that is uh, well thought out to the mayor's office before I just spout off with ideas. So just wanted to let you know that was, and, and then in terms of shovel ready projects and being ready for any stimulus money, believe you me, we have, we've already put together documents we've shared with the mayor's office. I've shared them with the state of California to make sure we're all on the same page with the federal government. You know, we're ready to move if the money is there. Thank you. Um, I still see some commissioners with their hands raised in the side. Do people want to speak again or? All right. Um, all right. So a few things I want to say. Um, first is Joe, thank you so much because I know this is a huge lift every year and I really appreciate the work that everyone in the department has done toward this budget and toward, you know, taking the instructions that we have in moving forward. I also am really compelled by the idea of putting together a plan for what would we do if um, this is our, this is our 
you know, it's a moonshot that has to happen. So what would we do and how would we do that? And I, and I think that putting um, the department and this commission kind of on notice that this is an important thing that we really wanna to work toward and sooner rather than later, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'd be really interested in learning what that study would cost, Debbie, so that, I mean, maybe this is a thing where public speakers, as you are out there talking to your supervisors, we're asking for, for some allocations to come from different places for something like that. I think that's important. I think for the purposes, my, my read on the purposes of approving this budget is we have to keep the wheels on the bus and moving forward and, and keep the budget process going forward right now. Um, trying to go get general fund money. I've been, I've been hearing the budget for 11 years now. And that whole process is a whole different um, ball of wax. And I think that I think we should approve this budget and move it forward with a sense of urgency around the concerns raised by the public and the and the asks, quite frankly, that they put forward that I think were very thoughtful and important. That's my take on it. Johanna. So so what does what does that mean? Um, Heather, uh, does it does it mean we need to uh, in in addition to approving, does that mean that we need to ask that the budget submission be accompanied by a letter from this commission? Uh oh, I think it doesn't mean that. I'm looking at Charles. <laughs> but I mean. If I think around the timing, when the budget's heard is May, right? So what I'm hearing, Debbie, from you is we can't we can't pull this off before the next commission. Maybe we can't have a whole plan in place for how we would spend whatever money we could get. We don't even know what that money could be until we could do a study. Um, so maybe, you know. But can we convey the, how do we convey the urgency? How do we say, on the one hand, we've done what you told us, but on the other hand, you must understand that we cannot do, neither the department nor the city can do what you have otherwise asked us to do. Um, and, and you've got to come to grips with that, hopefully sooner rather than later. It would be a very short letter, but it... it is that something that we should think tonight about doing? I'm very open to that. Debbie, I'm interested in your diplomatic approach um, and what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the commission, I think you said it very well. You know, the commission agrees that this is a thoughtful budget, is a budget that meets the instructions that was given to the department. And as the people who are fiscally responsible to make sure the department goes forward, it meets with your criteria. And you have concerns that this is a time, you know, of great urgency and you wanted to signal this concern and understand the context with which you're delivering it, and yet you would be remiss if you did not, as the Department, as the Commission on the Environment, put this concern forward and hope to elevate it to discussions and, and 
I think that would be, I think that would be absolutely um, appropriate. And frankly, I don't know that it would surprise anyone. So I think it would be perfectly, <laughs> you're not gonna, yeah. The tone I'm sure will be respectful and urgent. Commissioner Sullivan. I, th I think that's an excellent idea, um, uh, Commissioner Walt's suggestion. And I think we should tie it to the, the, the uh, climate emergency that the Board of Directors has uh, decreed. Uh, we are in a climate emergency. It's the most important emergency that, that we have at any level. And uh, I think if we tie it, tie it to that, it will, it will be even more forceful. Great. Um, so just in, a, in terms of a process question, then do we vote to approve the budget with some sort of an amendment to the motion that says that we want to send it along with a letter or do we do this letter as a separate? No, we have to tie it to an action item that's, that's here. So, so somebody needs to move to send a letter along with our approval. Is that correct, Charles? That is correct. I think um, what would be appropriate is, like you suggested, to tie this to the action item, and the part, the part about writing a letter should be granting you the authority to write a letter summarizing the comments that were made today, okay. and that will then be submitted or transmitted to the, the, the mayor's budget office, which is where we're setting our budget next. Great. Commissioner Wall, do you want to make a motion to grant me the power to write a letter? All right. Can you? I, I, I so move. I second that. All right. Moved by Commissioner Wall, seconded by Commissioner Bermejo that the president will send a letter to alongside the budget summarizing the comments made by the public who called in. Um, expressing the need for more funding to be able to meet the climate emergency goals. All right. Then do we vote on the amendment first and then the full? That's the process. I think we vote on the, I think we vote on this motion and then we vote on the full budget, correct? Yeah, I think that would make sense. Um, um, I, we we need a vote to move the budget forward, um, and as part of that, there's, there's what I'm calling an auxiliary motion to send a letter. And so I know I said tie, but I think if we just take them separately, I think that, that should be fine. Great. All right. So Katie, I think we should do a roll call vote on the letter amendment, and then we should vote on the. But the commission approving the budget. Okay, sounds good. So I'll call the roll call vote to uh, on the amendment with the letter. Uh, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice mm -hmm. President On. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right. The motion passes. Let's move on to a roll call vote for the um, approval of the budget. Great. President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President On. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. 
Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. Thank you. And thank you again to the public for your thoughtful comments. Appreciate it. And thanks, Joe, as always. Next item, please, Katie. All right, we will move on to our next item, which is item eight, review and vote on whether to approve Commission on the Environment 2020 annual report. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and the explanatory document is the Draft 2020 Commission on the Environment annual report. And this item is for discussion and possible action. All right, Charles, thanks. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, commissioners. Um, as you know, uh, we do this uh, every year. And as uh, I was reminded by Commissioner Wall that the first time we did this, I believe 2019, it's my first annual report. Um, we have to do this because it is a requirement. There's an ordinance saying there's an ordinance that says that commissions have to produce annual reports. And so that's first and foremost, the main reason why we do it. But I also think it's a good look back at the year that has passed. And in December, when we're also putting together the year that is to come, it's kind of nice to see where we've been, which helps us guide maybe where we should also go next. And so I've always found it to be a useful exercise and I hope the commissioners do as well. Um, as you know, uh, 2020 was um, a more challenging year for any number of reasons, particularly, you know, related to COVID. And so the pause um, in commission meetings in the middle of the year meant we had a little less material to work with. Um, and so the process to put together the annual report this year was, was a little more rigorous um, than it usually is. So I do want to call out our prime author, Katie Chancellor, our commission affairs officer here with us today. Um, our graphic designer, Mark Nicholas. Um, Commissioner Wald, who always offers to do some proofreading for us, thank you. And of course, our uh, artist in residence, also a, a commissioner for the Department of Environment, Commissioner Ahn, who uh, provided artwork for us uh, this year as well. So thank you, all of you, to your contributions. Um, I'm gonna quickly scroll through the annual report. Um, very quickly, uh, Katie, can you put up to the screen? Thank you so much. Um, hold up. So as you see, the um, first page, Commissioner Hans' uh, artwork. Um, Katie's next page. Again, standard from year to year. It's a it's kind of a standard formula, and so you'll see um, our mission statement on this page. Next page, Katie. The letter from the commission president, again, a standard item we include in every annual report. Next page. Um, again, here is the appointment or reappointment section. Last year, we had a wave of appointments and reappointments. This year, we only had one, Commissioner Bermejo. And I believe for 2021, we will also only have one. Next page. And this is where we get to our commission highlights section. And there are multiple sections within this section. The first is our um, Green Business Award um, um, ceremony that we host in February or March. Um, it was, I think, the last of the department's main events before we moved into a more COVID lockdown type era. And so it was kind of nice to see uh, see what we what we what we hope to get back to by looking back at the at the past. Next page. 
Um, continuing on with commission highlights, I also want to point out um, uh, what I think is important to note was that this commission, along with many other commissions, went virtual. Um, and you'll see that uh, in the picture on the uh, left-hand side of the page, um, snapshot of all of us going virtual. Um, many commissions did it differently. We use WebEx, some use Teams. Um, and so uh, we all found our path to make sure that we once again could bring in the public. Uh, next page. Um, talk a little bit about our ongoing racial equity work at the commission in the department. Um, we mentioned the all electric legislation that the commission weighed in on um, with the board of supervisors. Next page. Here we spotlighted uh, Commissioner Ahn and Commissioner Wan for their work installing the uh, air quality sensors during the um, fires that raged, and I think that was in August and September of this year. Next page. Uh, that was our first and I believe last environmental service award for the year. And um, I'm excited in 2020, 2021 that we are going to restart that program. And glad we could have uh, Julian Potter here today as our restart for that program. Next page. Um, I believe this page and potentially the next page, if you want to go to that, um, Katie, this lists uh, the legislative summary, um, all the items that the um, uh, commission passed. And then the final page is, of course, the, uh, the end of the uh, document, it looks like. Um, so again, thank you to all those that put this together. Um, and I'll take any questions or comments now if you have them. That looks great, Charles. And Eddie's work, the artwork is so good. Um, commissioners, any comments or questions? Commissioner Bermejo. I just wanted to say that it certainly captures what 2020 and most of the three quarters of that year was all about. But the resiliency of the commission and how we continued the work despite all the challenges and, uh, and everything that was happening around us. So thank you for all the work, work and for all the work that went into that. Thank you. All right, then can I get a motion to approve the annual report, please? So moved. Commissioner Sullivan, can we have a second? Second. Is that Commissioner Wong? All right, so moved and seconded. Can we open it up for public comment, please? Yes, I will share the instructions for making a public comment on this item, which was the uh, commission annual report for 2020. Just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in our queue, but we'll pause for a few seconds in case anyone would like to call in at this time. All right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Okay, then let's move to a roll call vote, please. All right. Okay, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President Ahn. Aye. 
Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Tu? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. All right, the motion passes. Thank you so much to all the staff for all the time that went into that excellent work. All right, let's move on to the next item, please. Okay. okay, our next item is item nine, director's report. The speaker is Deborah Raphael, director, and the explanatory document is the director's report. And this item is for discussion. Thank you. Well, the director's report is always my time to just highlight a few things that are of note, uh, either in the past, since our last commission meeting or what's coming up. And um, since our last commission meeting, um, a lot has happened. And I think President Stevenson outlined a lot of that in her opening remarks. And because of the change in administration, it's very much put us on notice of our opportunities to kick off the year in a really strong way looking forward. And as I mentioned, Earlier, we have been putting together lists for our state delegation, for our federal delegation, um, in our own internal with partners, figuring out it, you know, what would we like to see from the Biden-Harris administration to move us forward. And so as we've been thinking about what we would use and how we would be ready for stimulus money, it's actually the perfect time to also launch our climate action plan. And you've heard a lot about that in the public comment tonight about not only the climate action plan, but the, which is uh, adopted by the mayor, but chapter nine of the environment code, which is adopted by both the board of supervisors and the mayor that codifies um, the goals and the requirements of individual city departments. And as we embark on both of those efforts, we are embarking on a, quite an extensive public engagement process. About two weeks ago, we launched that and Mayor London Breed was our kickoff speaker. She was phenomenal as she always is, especially when she speaks about what is near and dear to her heart. And you can tell from her remarks that for her, it's about housing, that we cannot separate the need for climate action from the need for housing, that land use, um, transportation, land use, housing, these are all part of a truly equitable and impactful climate action approach. And our climate action plan is not only about what we need to do, but it's how we do it. So the focus on equity, the focus on public health, on jobs, on resilience, these are all things that we are looking to our community for help in figuring out how do we do those things we know we need to do. We're going to be uh, putting together nine virtual workshops. We've already done a couple of them, and I know that some of you will be leading those workshops. So thank you very much for lending your support and your expertise to those conversations. And we hope that you'll, you'll also reach out to your networks to get people to the workshops. So if Katie will be happy to send out a reminder of when the workshops are, so that if you can send help us spread the word, that will be really wonderful. Um, since we last had a commission meeting, the sort of biggest thing that, or one of the major things we've done is we've actually done a regulation process for the Environmentally Preferable Purchasing Program, which may not sound all that exciting, but the last time we did this was 2013. And what it does is it signals to the marketplace where we're going to be looking at the next product categories for environmentally preferable purchasing options, and therefore 
vendors, industry, get ready because we're going to put out specs and we're going to see who's able to meet our specifications. And those categories were furniture, paints and primers, resilient flooring and adhesives. And when you think about those product categories, they are huge in terms of their national impact. And what happens is our specifications in San Francisco often get used and picked up by programs all across the country and even the world in some cases. So when we defined what an environmentally preferable carpet was, you better believe that all the carpet manufacturers paid attention because they knew that at Greenbuild or wherever else people talked about sustainable materials, they'd be talking about these specifications. And as the operations committee heard, the other giant thing that happened since the last time we had a commission meeting was our move. And it doesn't kind of feel real to me because it's just pictures. I haven't been to the new office place, but the pictures show that we are out of 1455. We are in 1155. It, all the cubicles are set up and each cubicle is filled with boxes of things that are waiting for July when we come back to actually unpack them. So my office looks like a disaster, but everyone else's does too. And it will stay that way for months on end, but I do wanna call out the Herculean efforts of uh, our admin team and Eden Bruckman on our green building team. And of course, Jennifer Cass and um, Patrice, Baby Ruth, Bo, all these people who worked throughout Christmas holiday and showed up in person every day to get us the move. And the last thing that happened, yes, thank you, thank them. It, it was amazing teamwork. And the last thing that happened was, of course, that we submitted our racial equity action plan uh, for our internally focused phase one. We are right now uh, meeting to go over the, require, the commitments for 2021 and doing our budget analysis of what kind of resources we're gonna need to implement so that it's the responsibility is spread out and we know where the gap analysis is of where we need help. So that's something I'm working on in the month of February to get that complete. And I look forward to bringing that back to an operations committee once we have um, more specifics on the plan and what we've already done and what we need to do this year. So that is my director's report. Thank you so much. Commissioners, any comments or questions for Debbie? Commissioner Bermejo, did you have your hand raised? I just wanted to say thank you, Debbie, for all the work. Um, it's just a testament to everything that happens when most people think everybody is standing in place and the work of the commission continues. So just thank you to you, to the team, to all those amazing people that make it happen. All right, there's no more commissioner comment. Let's open it up to the public, please. All right, I'll share the directions for making a public comment on this item, which is the director's report. You will have three minutes to make your comment. And I do see that we have one caller in the queue. So let me pull up the timer and I will unmute our first caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, David Pilpel again. Just wanted to say thank you for including uh, personnel or staff changes in the director's report as I asked for last time. Hope to 
continue to see that in the future so we can see all the comings and goings. Hopefully people aren't going anywhere, but to the extent that they do come and go, it's, it's good to see that reflected in the director's report. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm not currently seeing any other callers in the queue. All right, next item, please. All right. We'll move on to item 10, nomination and election of Commission on the Environment President and Vice President. And this item is for discussion and possible action. So, okay, are there any nominations for President of the Commission? Oh, yes. Um, yes, it is my distinct honor to nominate Commissioner Heather Stevenson as president of the commission. Um, I think under challenging times and with the uh, all of us learning the technology around WebEx to make sure we are connected, um, we might have lost some ground, but I think you've really been a, a wonderful president. And also, I just wanted to say that uh, personally, I really... Loved hearing your president's remarks today because to me, anytime we have a national leader who believes in science, that is a wonderful thing. And so with that, it is my honor to nominate Heather Stevenson as president of the Commission on the Environment. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I would love, I, I accept your nomination. I would love another crack at it um, because I feel a little bit like we got a little hijacked in my term as president. So I would very, very much... Um, be honored to serve as president again. Is there a second to the nomination? Commissioner Wong? I think we all know how hard you work and how committed you are, President. So we're really glad that you're willing to accept the nomination for another term. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other nominations? All right. So I believe we. Do we open the public comment? Yes. yes. Yeah, so we'll open for public comment um, before we take the vote um, for the nomination for president. So I will share the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. And give me one second. And I do see that we have one caller in the queue. So I will start the timer and unmute our caller now. Hi there, this is uh, Chris. Um, thank you all for your service over this past year and going forward as well. I just wanted to recognize the contributions, particularly of Commissioners On and Commissioners Commissioner Wall. Um, I think they've been absolutely stellar um, with regard to the, the gas ban. You know, it was Commissioner Wall's idea to send a letter to the supervisors, and I think that had a big impact in helping to you know close some of the exemptions that we were extremely worried about and. Um, Commissioner On has been really interested in, you know, getting to brass tacks on the on the budget and 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 one more thing, I I, I really want to thank Commissioner Wald again for pushing this consumption inventory report forward, and I'm very much looking forward to this being discussed, um, you know, at your subcommittee, at this committee, um, as well as the land use commission or committee. So that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I'm seeing no additional callers in the queue. All right, then let's move to a roll call vote. 
All right. Um, President Stevenson. Aye. <laughs> Vice President On. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate your support. I really do. All right. Next item, please. Uh, so we will actually need um, a nomination and a vote for vice president as well. Oh, it's still in the same item. All right. Oh, All right. <laughs> Are there nominations for a vice president? Commissioner Wong. Uh, it's my great pleasure to nominate um, Commissioner An to continue to be the vice president for another term. He's one of the um, committee advocates I've been working with that have been so dedicated and committed to um, uh, climate change and also all the policy. I learned a lot from him and I think he's been a great asset to both the policy committee and to the general commission. Do I hear a second? Commissioner Wald, second. I absolutely second uh, everything that Commissioner Wan said. Um, every word that she said about Eddie was absolutely true. I've learned a lot from him and I am in awe of his wide ranging talents and everything that he brings to the policy committee and to the commission as a whole, as well as the wider world. I hope he'll say yes. Commissioner, how do you accept? I do, and it's been a pleasure and an honor to work with all of you. So thank you for the nomination. And all I right. think 2121 will be a better year. <laughs> God, I hope so. All right. So we... Can I add one more comment? I also don't know how Commissioner An can balance and also be an excellent artist in a community. Multi-talented. All right, is there any public comment? All right, I will put the instructions back up on the screen. And I'm not currently seeing any commenters in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, let's take a vote then, please. All right, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President On. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, it passes. Congratulations, Commissioner. So weird not to get to clap in a normal way on Zoom or on a WebEx. Um, all right, next item, please. All right, our next item is item 11, committee reports, and this item is for discussion. Commissioner On, can you give a report on the last policy committee meeting, please? Yes, and so in the last uh, policy committee on December 14th, 
uh, which was the last meeting of 2020. There was a presentation on the results of a study that examined PFAS chemicals and flame retardant levels in women firefighters and office workers. And we heard personal stories from a variety of staff members ranging from Captain Heather Buren and the previous director of DHR, Mickey Callahan. And there was also a presentation from the department's Eden Bruckman on embodied carbon in buildings. And with that, that concludes my committee report. Thank you. We had an operations committee meeting on January 11th. Oops, am I paused? No, I'm not. Um, on January 11th, we had an operations committee meeting um, virtually, obviously, and we had presentations from department staff on the fiscal year 21 budget that we just saw, as well as um, a more in-depth um, discussion about the move to the new office at 1155 Market Street. And we also had a presentation on um, the re reusable distribution project that the department did in collaboration with the COVID command center, where they were able to um, I mean, provide the bags and provide um, materials for distributing COVID materials through the command center, but getting the, the reusable grocery bags in the hands of the public at the same time. And that's the end of my discussion about the operations committee meeting. Um, reminder to the public that you can also join in on the operations meetings every time. Mm -hmm. So is there any public comment on this item? Okay, I will share the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. And comments should be related to this agenda item, which is committee reports, and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another quick pause for anyone who would like to call in. All right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Next item, please. All right, our next item is item 12, announcements, and this item is for discussion. Commissioners, are there any announcements? This is not an announcement, but and I know we don't um, vote on um, commission secretaries um, every year when we vote on officers, but I just want to, uh, <laughs> If Charles is okay with this, commend uh, Katie Chancellor for her excellent work um, since joining us as a commission, hitting the ground running, um, guiding us through uh, Zoom calls and reminding us when we were on mute and doing just a great job since she joined us. Thanks. I second that as well. Thank you. Me too. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Any other announcements? All right, let's open up for public comment, please. All right, I'll share the instructions for making a public comment on this item. And I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Oh, just kidding, one just popped up. Okay, so I will unmute our first caller and start the timer now. Uh, yeah, I'd like to add some comment, uh, additional comments regarding um, the secretary's work. Um, I I really like to commend you on um, pausing for public comment. That is something that a lot of secretaries don't do in other meetings, which is very frustrating. Uh, so thank you very much for doing that. Um, it's uh, very helpful. Um, 
However, um, when you uh, put the um, announcements on the screen, um, you, you might take into consideration that, uh, you know, some people might be visually impaired or some people, you know, might not be viewing it on um, SFGov TV. Um, and so it might be helpful to uh, also uh, verbally say the instructions for calling in over, you know, yeah, just verbally say them. Um, but uh, otherwise, again, thank you very, very much um, for, you know, pausing. And um, overall, I, I'm very impressed with how you've run the meeting so far. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your comment. Thank you. <laughs> all right, and I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. All right, let's move to the next item then. All right. Can move on to agenda item 13, new business, future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and this item is for discussion. Thank you, Katie, and thank you, commissioners. I will be brief. The next uh, policy committee meeting is February 8th. The next commission on the environment meeting is March 23. And the next operations committee meeting is April 21. Um, coming up for you at a few of those meetings, we've got a couple of uh, hot topics. One of them is the consumption inventory report, which was referenced numerous times tonight. And so that will be, I believe, appearing uh, most likely at the policy meeting on, on February 8th. Um, and at the full commission, we'll have a presentation from some members of the Brightline team on the air sensors that they put up. That was also referenced tonight. And we'll have an energy group update at that commission meeting as well. And I'll pause and see if we have any questions. Commissioners, any questions or requests for agenda items? All right. Then is there any public comment on this? All right, I'll put the instructions back up on the screen. Um, for anyone who would like to comment on this item, which is new business and future agenda items. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another quick pause for anyone who'd like to call in. I'm muted. I don't see any callers in the queue. <laughs> All right, next item, please. Okay. All right, our next item is item 14, adjournment. And with that, the time is 7.40 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Thanks, everyone who walked out behind the scenes. Thanks, everyone. Good night. <laughs>